fourth watch starts now. Fourth Watch with Justin Paul on the Kapow Radio Network. Hope everyone's having a blessed week. We've got a great show for you tonight. We'll be taking an adventure into the mind-blowing and supernatural experiences of the famous Admiral Byrd. What once were held as classified secrets were finally released on one man's deathbed, as he felt the world needed to know what exactly he encountered on his great Arctic expedition. Submitted for the approval of the Kapow Radio Network. I call this episode Hollow Earth, the Admiral Byrd Expedition. Now there was once a highly decorated and well-respected admiral named Richard Evelyn Byrd, who lived from October 25th, 1888 to March 11th, 1957. He was an American naval officer who specialized in feats of exploration. He was a pioneering American aviator, polar explorer, and organizer of polar logistics. He served as a navigator and expedition leader on aircraft flights in which he crossed the Atlantic Ocean, a segment of the Arctic Ocean, and a segment of the Antarctic Plateau. Byrd claimed that his expeditions had been the first to reach the North Pole and the South Pole by air. In his lifetime, Byrd had amassed 22 citations and special commendations, including the Medal of Honor, which is the highest honor for heroism given by the United States. Byrd was one of only four Americans in history entitled to wear a medal with their own image on it. Folks, he was a national hero and explorer. He was even awarded with notoriety from the Smithsonian. Admiral Byrd was held to a high degree of respect in terms of the world, and he was highly regarded and valued by the U.S. government for a lifetime of accomplishments through his expeditions and missions. He was even on the cover of Time magazine on Monday, November 8th, 1926, as well as two commemorative postage stamps. So what we have here is someone who isn't exactly a Johnny-come-lately. We're not talking about a questionable conspiracy theorist, but rather someone with a lifetime of adventures and documented stories of his expeditions that we only hear about or see in the movies. I know that's a lot of historical information, folks, but I felt that it's extremely necessary to go ahead and explain who this man is. It's important to establish his credibility before jumping into the wake of such radical and supernatural accounts of one of his later expeditions. That is allegedly detailed graphically in a secret diary that was released on his deathbed. The diary is curiously titled by Admiral Byrd himself as Admiral Richard B. Byrd's Diary, February, March, 1947. The Land Beyond the Poles. The Exploration Flight Over the North Pole. The Inner Earth. My Secret Diary. Even as we read that title, we see a few interesting statements. We see that his account involves flying over the North Pole and a discovery of what he calls the land beyond the poles. And he uses a peculiar term, the inner earth, and he goes on to call it his secret diary. I want to go ahead and interject something else in here real quick. As we get closer and closer to the coming reign of the Antichrist, we see some really interesting and sometimes hard to explain phenomenon. The New World Order and the widespread works of the Illuminati seem to be in overdrive right now, 
as they seek to deceive the masses, all the while they're being deceived themselves by demonic forces and entities. Let me take you guys to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is a clear description of how things are working right now, even today, with the wicked powers that are operating this world and the beast system. The world is run by demonic forces, or principalities if you will, essentially. But this is a compartmentalized structure grid. The demonic forces and entities have men and women who do their bidding for them, leaving the ruling elite feeling special and even elevated or illuminated as they believe they have a Gnostic or esoteric understanding of the universe. But as it said in 2 Timothy, these evil people are seducers, and they are getting worse and worse and they are deceiving the masses. But what we have to remember folks, they are also being deceived. Everything that they have been told by their so-called illuminated spirits and entities is actually nothing more than them being deceived in this great end time scheme of Lucifer. So the accounts we're going to learn concerning the inner earth seem to all fall in line with some major deception of demonic origin. So here we go ladies and gentlemen, we're going to dive right into the accounts of Admiral Byrd taken directly from his own secret diary. Admiral writes, I must write this diary in secrecy and obscurity. It concerns my arctic flight of the 19th day of February in the year of 1947. There comes a time when the rationality of men must fade into insignificance, and one must accept the inevitability of the truth. I am not at liberty to disclose the following documentation at the time of this writing. Perhaps it shall never see the light of public scrutiny, but I must do my duty and record here for all to read one day. In a world of greed and exploitation of certain of mankind, can no longer suppress that which is truth. Now he goes into his flight log after this introduction, and this is his flight log starting at his base camp Arctic, dated February 19, 1947. So the adventure begins at 0600 hours, folks. For those not familiar with the military time clock, that's 6 in the morning. 0600 hours, all preparations are complete for our flight northward, and we are airborne with a full fuel tank. He makes a few entries about different mechanics of the plane and operational checks. He also mentions his radio checks that are standard procedure with the base camp. So every so often, the people in the plane will report back on their radio to the base camp just to let them know what's going on. 0730, that's 730 in the morning. Radio check with base camp. All is well and radio reception is normal. He notes some altitude changes that occur as he makes his way to the North Pole. 910 in the morning. He reports back that the wide span of ice is showing a linear color pattern. This is interesting. He says he broke his course to get a better look at the color patterns, seeing white, yellow, and even a reddish and purple color pattern within the ice and the snow. At that same time as he broke course, both magnetic and gyro compasses began to gyrate and wobble, and he wrote, We are unable to hold our heading by instrumentation. So what's going on here is as he gets closer to the North Pole, it creates a magnetic force field. And any, any bit of instrumentation like compasses and other equipment can start to fail. They can start to do some very strange things. It's just basic science. Now, we would expect to see nothing but vast sheets of ice, followed by more sheets of ice, as we approach the North Pole. Even if we did see some color variations, it, it really wouldn't be too mind-blowing. But what happens next is pretty fascinating. His diary continues, 9.15, and the distance is what appears to be mountains. After 29 minutes of elapsed flight from the first sighting of the mountains, He's closer now and he sees that it is no illusion. He writes, They are mountains and consisting of a small mountain range that I have never seen before. At 9.55 he writes, The altitude change to 29.50 feet, encountering strong turbulence again. 
So Bert is fascinated by the unexplored and unexpected mountain range in the North Pole, and as he approaches the range, he drops altitude to get a better view of everything. 10 a.m. We are crossing over the small mountain range and still proceeding northward as best as can be ascertained. So folks, he's entering into uncharted territory. He's blown away, and he's entering into this mountain range area. He continues, Beyond the mountain range is what appears to be a valley with a small river or stream running through the center portion. There should be no green valley below, he says. Something is definitely wrong and abnormal here. We should be over ice and snow. To the port side are great forests growing on the mountain slopes. Our navigation instruments are still spinning. The gyroscope is oscillating back and forth. So he documents a valley with small river or stream going through it and a deciduous forest growing. I'd have to agree with the Admiral. There's definitely something wrong and abnormal about this. We're in the North Pole, folks, and this man is seeing a great deciduous forest growing. I mean, of course, we don't believe that Santa and his elves are there. <laughs> All right, back to the diary. At 10.05, and this is in the morning. I alter altitude to 1,400 feet and execute a sharp left turn to better examine the valley below. It is green with either moss or a type of tight-knit grass. The light here seems different. I cannot even see the sun anymore. We make another left turn and we spot what seems to be a large animal of some kind below us. It appears to be an elephant. It looks more like a mammoth. This is incredible, he says. Yet there it is. Decrease altitude down to a thousand feet and take binoculars to better examine the animal. It is confirmed. It is definitely a mammoth-like animal. Report this to base camp. At 10.30, encountering more rolling green hills now. The external temperature indicator reads 74 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, okay, stop. Let me remind you folks, again, he is in the North Pole. He's spotting a mammoth creature. There's running water. There's a great deciduous forest, vegetation, grass, moss. And now his thermometer reads 74 degrees Fahrenheit. So he's entered into what would appear to be a little summertime vacation spot in the middle of the North Pole. Now, continue on our heading now, he writes. Navigation instruments seem normal now. I am puzzled over their actions. Attempt to contact base camp. Radio is not functioning. Okay, so what's what's going on now? He he gets into this new world, we'll call it, okay? And as soon as he gets into it, the, the radio function stops working, but the magnetic instruments are working now. His compass is working now. Um, different things in the plane are working that weren't working previously, but his radio cuts out. So now he can't communicate with base camp. Now, folks, what follows... What I'm about to read here is one of the most incredible things I think I've ever read in my life. But first, let me put it into the context of a biblical account. I want to go ahead and take you guys back in time where Satan was tempting Jesus. Okay, Satan was trying everything in his power to get Jesus to worship him. Matthew chapter 4 verse 8 through 9 reads, And again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. This is a really interesting verse. So many times people just read right through this. They don't quite understand the physics of what's going on here. When Satan took the Lord Jesus Christ up into an extremely high mountain, and he showed him the kingdoms of the world in just a moment of time, 
He did just that, ladies and gentlemen. He was able to show the kingdoms of the world and all their glory to Jesus within a moment of time. Satan has certain powers that we don't understand. Some people say he was he was showing him a vision through a portal. We don't really know. Okay? There are things going on right here in this biblical account that has no physical definitions or even logical reasoning behind it. But the existence of it can't be denied because it came right out of the Word of God. It came out of the Bible. As Christians, we have to put our faith in the Word of God. Even if we don't understand the science behind certain things, we don't understand the logic, we have to trust that it is the Word of God and it did happen. Now, when we come across strange or paranormal phenomenon, the easiest thing for us to do, folks, is to simply deny it. But my encouragement to you has always been to be like the Bereans and compare things with Scripture. See what the Bible says. See if there's anything in the Bible that correlates with the circumstance. Now, that's the closest contextual comparison that I can even begin to try and make here. Going back to Satan showing Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory within a moment of time. Now, you're all probably wondering, what in the world did Admiral Byrd see and experience that is so great and so fascinating? Okay, folks, back to his diary. Here we go. 11.30 a.m. Countryside below is more level and normal, if I may use that word normal. Ahead we spot what seems to be a city. This is impossible. Aircraft seems light and oddly buoyant. The controls refuse to respond. My God, he says, off our post and starboard wings are a strange type of aircraft. They are closing rapidly alongside. They are disc-shaped and have a radiant quality to them. They are close enough now to see the markings on them. It is a type of swastika. This is fantastic, he says. Where are we? What has happened here? I tug at the controls again. They will not respond. We are caught in an invisible vice grip of some type. 11.35. Our radio crackles and a voice comes through in English with what perhaps is a slight Nordic or German accent. The message says, Welcome, Admiral, to our domain. We shall land you in exactly seven minutes. Relax, Admiral. You are in good hands. The Admiral continues, I note the engines of our plane have stopped running. The aircraft is under some strange control and is now turning itself. The controls are useless. So basically, he has lost all control of his airplane and his engines have just turned off. And folks, this is all right out of his diary, his own personal diary. This is part of his flight log. So we're not dealing with a guy who doesn't understand mechanics or airplanes. We're dealing with a guy who's been on many expeditions. He knows how to fly an airplane. He's familiar with mechanics. Uh, there's even records that he has had special crafts built for him on some of his expeditions. So he knows what he's talking about. He knows what should be going on. And then he realizes that something totally opposite is happening from what the normal would be. Now, I'm sure many of you are thinking that this guy is a few fries short of a Happy Meal. I mean, this sounds unbelievable. I know. And to some, they would say that if he really wrote this, he's worthy of being institutionalized. While others may be listening right now and thinking to yourselves, I know the power of the devil and how the devil's whole mission is to bring about deception and lead people into a new world order of the Antichrist. Well, we'll get to the new world order connection to all of this in just a little bit. Now back to the flight log in the diary. 11.40 in the morning. Another radio message is received. We begin the landing process now, and in moments, the plane shudders slightly and begins a descent as though caught in some great unseen elevator. The downward motion is negligible, and we touch down with only a slight jolt. 
That's a pretty fascinating description. This aircraft is being lowered majestically, extremely smooth, and barely even touches the ground. 11.45. I'm making a hasty last entry in the flight log. Several men are approaching on foot toward our aircraft. They are tall with blonde hair. Now, I've got to go ahead and connect a few interesting dots here. He mentioned swastikas on the flying disc-like saucer aircrafts that escorted him to his landing. The two flying saucer discs, they approached him, they, they got on both sides of his airplane, and they had swastikas on them. He mentions that in his description. He then mentions that the voice that spoke to him on the radio was in a Nordic or German accent. Now he's greeted by tall men with blonde hair. When we study the occult doctrines of the Nazis, we hear about an alleged supreme race that once existed as being made up by tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Nordics, or Aryans. And the history of this race goes back beyond Hitler. People don't realize there's a lot of occult theories about seven different races that existed. Um, we're not going to get into all that. But the Aryan race falls into the fifth race category and is believed by many in the occult to be the supreme race. Also, I can't help thinking of the modern Nephilim abduction that recorded the Nephilim female having bright blonde hair. She was a tall creature that had bright blonde hair. That could be pure coincidence. Okay, I don't know. I'm not going to try to put those two together because I don't have facts about it. It's just interesting, and I wanted to mention that. Okay, so Admiral Byrd has just been landed in his own plane... With the engines shut off, I might remind you. <laughs> but the control of another force field is surrounding him. He continues. In the distance is a large shimmering city pulsating with rainbow hues of color. I do not know what is going to happen now, but I see no signs of weapons on those approaching us. I hear now a voice ordering me by name to open the cargo door. I comply. He then writes, this is the end of log. Now, this is the end of what we'll call his real-time record, or his real-time log. He was keeping a log of events as they were happening from the airplane. He says, The radio man and I are taken from the aircraft, and we are received in a most cordial manner. We were then boarded on a small platform like conveyance with no wheels. So, he and his, his partner from the airplane are put on what appears to be a little hovercraft, little hoverboard. Everybody remember the movies Back to the Future? where Marty McFly had the hoverboard, it seems that he and his partner put on a hovering disc, or a hovering board of sorts. It moves us toward the glowing city with a great swiftness, he says. As we approach, the city seems to be made of a crystal material. So we arrive at a large building that is a type that I have never seen before. It appears to be right out of the design board of Frank Lloyd Wright, or perhaps more correctly, out of a Buck Rogers setting. Now, real quick, for those who aren't familiar with those guys, he's basically saying that this building that he's approaching looks like something out of a space age or a science fiction movie. Keep in mind, he's writing this back in 1947. He continues his account. We are given some type of warm beverage, which tasted like nothing I have ever savored before. It is delicious. After about 10 minutes, two of our wondrous appearing hosts come to our quarters and they announce that I am to accompany them. Okay, back up for a second. He refers to these as wondrous appearing hosts. I'm not really sure what that means, but I can't imagine that we're talking about a couple soldiers in camouflage. So he says, after about 10 minutes, two of our wondrous appearing hosts come to our quarters and they announce that I am to accompany them. I have no choice but to comply. 
I leave my radio man behind and we walk a short distance and enter into what seems to be an elevator. We descend downward for some moments. The machine stops and the door lifts silently upward. We then proceed down a long hallway that is lit by a rose-colored light that seems to be emanating from the very walls themselves. One of the beings motions for us to stop before a great door. Over the door is an inscription that I cannot read. The great door slides noiselessly open and I am beckoned to enter. One of my hosts speaks, Have no fear, Admiral. You are to have an audience with the master. This is interesting. He's now being carried in to meet with some sort of entity who's called the master. Okay, back to his account. I step inside and my eyes adjust to the beautiful coloration that seems to be filling the room completely. Then I begin to see my surroundings. What greeted my eyes is the most beautiful sight of my entire existence. It is in fact too beautiful and wondrous to describe it. It is exquisite and delicate. I do not think there exists a human term that can describe it in any detail with justice. He continues, My thoughts are interrupted in a cordial manner by a warm rich voice of melodious quality. I bid you welcome to our domain, Admiral. I see a man with delicate features and with the etching of years upon his face. He is seated at a long table. He motions me to sit down in one of the chairs. After I am seated, he places his fingertips together and smiles. He speaks softly again and conveys the following message. We have let you enter here because you are of a noble character and well known on the surface world, Admiral. Admiral replies, surface world? Yes, the master replies with a smile. You are in the domain of the Ariani, the inner world of the earth. We shall not long delay your mission, and you will be safely escorted back to the surface and for a distance beyond. But now, Admiral, I shall tell you why you have been summoned here. Our interest rightly begins just after your race exploded the first atomic bombs over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. It was at that alarming time we sent our flying machines, the Flugelrods, to your surface world to investigate what your race had done. This is, of course, past history now, my dear Admiral. But I must continue on. You see, we have never interfered before in your race's wars and barbarity. But now we must, for you have learned to tamper with a certain power that is not for man, namely that of atomic energy. Our emissaries have already delivered messages to the powers of your world, and yet they do not heed. Now you have been chosen to be witness here that our world does exist. You see, our culture and science is many thousands of years beyond your race, Admiral. I interrupted. But what does this have to do with me, sir? The master's eyes seemed to penetrate deeply into my mind, and after studying me for a few moments, he replied, Your race has now reached the point of no return, for there are those among you who would destroy your very world rather than relinquish their power as they know it. I nodded. And the master continued, In 1945 and afterward, we tried to contact your race, but our efforts were met with hostility. Our flugel rods were fired upon. Yes, even pursued with malice and animosity by your fighter planes. So now I say to you, my son, there is a great storm gathering in your world, a black fury that will not spend itself for many years. There will be no answer in your arms. There will be no safety in your science. It may rage on until every flower of your culture is trampled, and all human things are leveled into vast chaos. Your recent war, he's speaking of World War II, 
He says, your recent war was only a prelude of what is yet to come for your race. We here see it more clearly with each hour. Do you say I am mistaken, Admiral? No, I answer. It happened once before. The Dark Ages came and they lasted for more than 500 years. Yes, my son, replied the master. The Dark Ages that will come now for your race will cover the earth like a pall. But I believe that some of your race will live through the storm. Beyond that, I cannot say. We see at a great distance a new world stirring from the ruins of your race, seeking its lost and legendary treasures, and they will be here, my son, safe in our keeping. When that time arrives, we shall come forward again to help revive your culture and your race. Okay, I, I didn't want to have to stop here in the middle of this, but, but I feel it's really important that I go ahead and explain something. He talks about how this this super race, whatever you want to call them, okay, the, the race of the master, his people, his entities. He talks about how they shall come forward again to help revive our culture and our race. This is right in line with the satanic theory that the aliens came and seeded us, they created us, and then they come back every so often to revive our race, to help our culture, to help us out. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to get a little deeper into this in just one second. Let me get back to the master, okay? And he's not the master. I don't know what he is, but I'm just calling him the master for the sake of the diary. He's called the master inside the diary. He's self-professing that he's the master, and he's called the master by all his followers, okay? So the master continues, Perhaps by then you will have learned the futility of war and its strife. And after that time, certain of your culture and science will be returned for your race to begin anew. You, my son, are to return to the surface world with this great message. With these closing words, our meeting seemed at an end. I stood there for a moment as in a dream, but yet I knew this was reality. And for some strange reason, I bowed, either out of respect or humility. I don't really know which. Suddenly, I was again aware that the two beautiful hosts who had brought me here were again at my side. This way, Admiral, motioned one. I turned once more before leaving and looked back toward the master. A gentle smile was etched on his delicate and ancient face. Farewell, my son, he spoke. Then he gestured with a lovely slender hand motion of peace and our meeting was truly ended. Quickly, we walked back through the great door of the master's chamber and once again entered into the elevator. One of my hosts spoke again. We must now make haste, Admiral, as the master desires to delay you no longer on your scheduled timetable and... You must return with his message to your race. I said nothing. All of this was almost beyond belief, and once again my thoughts were interrupted as we stopped. I entered the room and was again with my radio man. He had an anxious expression on his face. As I approached, I said, It's all right, Howie. It's all right. The two beings motioned us toward the awaiting conveyance. We boarded and soon arrived back at our aircraft. The engines were idling and we boarded immediately. The whole atmosphere seemed charged now with a certain air of urgency. After the cargo door was closed, the aircraft was immediately lifted by that same unseen force until we reached an altitude of 2,700 feet. Two of the aircraft were alongside for some distance guiding us on our return. I must state here, the airspeed indicator registered no reading, yet we were moving along at a very rapid rate. The flight log continues at 2.15 hours, which is 2.15 p.m., a radio message comes through. We are leaving you now, Admiral. Your controls are free. Auf Wiedersehen. We watched for a moment as the Flugelrods disappeared into the pale blue sky. The aircraft suddenly felt as though caught in a sharp downdraft for a moment. 
We quickly recovered her control. We do not speak for some time. Each man has his thoughts. I want to back up real quick. Auf Wiedersehen. That means until we meet again. That's German. So these flyers of these Flugelrods, these UFOs that have swastikas on them, they speak in German. They give him a German greeting for until we meet again. Just thought that was interesting. Now, entry in the flight log continues. 2.20 p.m., 2.20 hours. We are again over vast areas of ice and snow and approximately 27 minutes from base camp. We radio them. They respond. We report all conditions normal. Normal. Base camp expresses relief at our reestablished contact. 300 hours, 3 p.m. We land smoothly at base camp. I have a mission. End log entries. Now, this all sounds crazy beyond recognition, ladies and gentlemen. I have to remind myself that this is allegedly the written account of the Honorable Admiral Byrd, who is the holder of the highest regarded Medal of Honor known to military personnel. Now, quickly, a few things we need to touch on here. This conversation that Admiral Byrd had with the so-called Master rings so familiar with a few different New Age doctrines. First of all, as Christians, we believe in a peace movement that will be led by Satan, his Antichrist, and his false prophet, also known as the Unholy Trinity. This will be a seven-year period known as the Tribulation. Generally, there would have to be some major wars and serious turmoil first off for there to be a movement of peace to come into play. People will be so burned by the chaos that they will submit to the satanic antichrist and his esoteric or his Gnostic system in view of peace and prosperity of the entire planet. Thirdly, the Illuminati has plans for bringing peace out of chaos. We've heard several versions of this saying over the years, hope out of ashes or the phoenix will rise out of the ashes, but most directly and most popularly the phrase out of chaos comes order. As Christians, we believe that this whole timeline of occurrences and events are going to be demonically driven and inspired, as it will be the greatest deception and tribulation that the world will have ever seen, as well as will ever see. So this demonic spawn inside the earth, who is called Master, is ultimately sounding pretty new age and very much in line with the satanic system of bringing a united world peace. The fact that he is called Master seems to me that he desires worship and adoration. Bird even felt compelled to bow before him. I've got many thoughts about this Luciferian Master entity, but time won't allow right now. One more interesting thought I had is actually in reference to the scripture. This is definitely a peculiar verse that I've mentioned before that comes out of the book of Job. In chapter 2, verse 2, it reads, And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? He's asking Satan here, Where have you just come from? Where have you been? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Satan says that he's been walking back and forth in the earth, not on the earth, folks, but inside the earth and walking up and down in it. So Satan spends a portion of his time defying earthly logic as he's walking around back and forth and up and down inside the earth. What the heck? <laughs> I mean, seriously, what's going on here? Another interesting reference is that the bottomless pit, where all sorts of demonic entities will arise from during the tribulation, is in fact on earth or in earth. Revelation chapter 9 verses 1 through 2 says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit. 
So what we're dealing with here is a bottomless pit that houses tons of demonic entities and it's down on earth somewhere. They are released from inside the earth, inside the pit, and there's a key that opens up the door to that. And biblically, that's down in the earth or on the earth. But everything about this so-called master, folks, everything that surrounds this so-called master and his tall, beautiful Aryan servants with blonde hair and his UFOs that land inside the earth, everything about this is totally demonic and it's filled with new age Gnostic doctrine or knowledge of what some believe to be the knowledge of the ascended masters. Now, anytime you hear of these ascended masters, Remember, okay, we're talking about fallen angels. We're talking about demonic entities, and they never ascended. As a matter of fact, they descended. They used to be of God. They used to be holy angels that descended when they got damned out of heaven for sinning against God. You can even go back and read about this in the book of Jude, where it talks about the angels that kept not their first estate. Okay, now here we go, folks. The idea of this whole master inside the earth and his his UFOs and his servants and his technology, it sounds really preposterous. I get that. But I, I have to take us back to the book of Job and realize that Satan is up to something inside the earth. And I remind you, folks, that he is the master of deception, the father of lies. And he's working full time at his endgame blueprints that will deceive the majority of the world and lead them into the false peace or the new golden age, which will be the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Then the new dark age will arise, and the second three and a half years will be the worst tribulation ever brought on the face of the earth, ladies and gentlemen. This is a fact. We're talking about the mingling of Satan's demonic activity and wrath, as well as Yahweh God's wrath on the world, all happening over the span of three and a half years. So everything about the experience of Admiral Byrd just tested positive for demonic activity and in times deception. So we're back in his diary, which is soon coming to a close. March 11th, 1947, he writes, I have just attended a staff meeting at the Pentagon. Let's remember that we're dealing with a highly decorated naval admiral who was an honorable servant of the country at the time of this writing, okay? It's just standard procedure to go through a full disclosure and even a debriefing about events such as took place on his expedition of the North Pole, especially when it involves such a devastating message of paranormal and spiritual proportion. The Admiral says, I have stated fully my discovery and the message from the Master. All is duly recorded. The President has been advised. I am now detained for several hours, six hours, 39 minutes to be exact. I am interviewed intently by top security forces and a medical team. It was quite an ordeal. I am placed under strict control via the national security provisions of this United States of America. I am ordered to remain silent in regard to all that I have learned on the behalf of humanity. I am reminded that I am a military man and I must obey my orders. The diary has one last entry, folks. December 30th, 1956. These last few years elapsed since 1947, and they have not been kind. I now make my final entry in this singular diary. In closing, I must state that I have faithfully kept this matter secret as directed all these years. It has been completely against my values of moral right. Now I seem to sense the long night coming on, and this secret will not die with me. But as all truth shall, it will triumph, and so it shall. This can be the only hope for mankind, he writes. Just as the long night of the Arctic ends, the brilliant sunshine of truth shall come again. And those who are of darkness shall fall in its light. For I have seen that land beyond the pole, that center of the great unknown. Signed, 
Admiral Richard E. Byrd, United States Navy, 24th of December, 1956. So we see a man who is entering his deathbed with some pretty serious secrets on his back. And he felt that these secrets would allow man to enter into enlightenment. And he even says that he entered into enlightenment because of this information. And he even said it's the only hope. He uses some strange New Age terminology here. But it's no surprise because as we study the great admiral's life, we learn that Admiral Byrd was a highly respected Freemason and a member of several elite Masonic lodges. Could this also be another reason why he was convinced that this so-called master was godlike and who brought a message of peace to the earth? Fact is, Admiral Byrd was trained in esoteric knowledge already as a Freemason. So when he comes into this knowledge the master brought him, he accepted it. There will always be some questions that will never be answered in regards to Admiral Byrd and his North Pole expedition. We will never know every detail of his demonic voyage into the inner earth if it did in fact really happen. It's also very interesting that this allegedly happened right around the time of the Roswell incident and the year before Israel became a nation again. You may be wondering why would I bring up Israel becoming a nation and the same story of Admiral Byrd and the Roswell incident. Many people don't realize that there was a rapid spread of UFO sightings all over Israel in 1948, shortly before becoming a nation and progressing to even larger numbers following the year it became a nation. So these are just some interesting facts that surround the vicinity of the times. And also, back when all these reportings and these sightings were taking place, the descriptions of the UFOs were right in line with the description of the UFOs or the flugelrods that were under the master's control that had the swastikas on them. Now, as fantastic as Admiral Byrd's story is, it must be given some credible consideration. If for no reason more than Byrd's impeccable character, which was documented by the U.S. military, various scholarly institutions, and academia. And folks, this was in a time when honor was held to a higher standard and definition than it is nowadays. And the fact is, all these things could fall possibly right in line with the understanding that Christians have about the coming tribulation coming to fruition. Regardless of the logistics involved, silencing Bird's story wouldn't exactly be out of character for the high levels of government. Now, as interesting as this all is, there's some pretty substantial questions that do arise. First of all, Admiral Byrd was on record as being in the South Pole at the very time that his diary claims he was having this North Pole expedition. That's not exactly a deal breaker, okay? Of course, we know that there are definitely fake alibis that have been published to cover certain things up. However, the Antarctica Expedition, or the South Pole Expedition, was a well-documented operation known as Operation High Jump. Now, if you look into Operation High Jump, you'll see that it involved some heavy extraterrestrial activity that was recorded. Secondly, the fact that Admiral Byrd was a Freemason and an alleged member of the Illuminati by bloodline it could be that this was created as a diversion of sorts, or even as disinformation. There's a lot of disinformation available in the areas of paranormal research. Whether or not this was really an accurate account of a demonic experience in the North Pole or not, the underlying theme of the message was in fact right in line with the Gnostic theory and the Antichrist plan to surface and make order out of chaos like we mentioned earlier. It also lines up with the fact that Lucifer is doing something inside the earth, which we talked about from the book of Job. So the story could be a total fabrication that just coincidentally lines up with Illuminati doctrine. Or, of course, it could be an incredible true story of an experience that's just really hard to digest. You decide.
Very, very interesting. It's always stimulating to learn historical accounts and ideas that line up with different scriptures. I know I always love a good adventure of challenging food for thought. I want to leave you all with one of my favorite verses from the book of Psalms, which is chapter 3, verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. And for all of you who have entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's our shield as well. He's our protector. He's our glory. He's the only glory, the only one worthy of praise. And folks, he is the lifter of our heads. The head is naturally bowed down in a time of trouble. For God to be the lifter of your head means that he will bring you out of that time of trouble so that you are no longer bowing your head in misery and in pain because he has lifted your head. King David wrote this psalm when his son Absalom rebelled against him and then turned the people of Israel against him. He had to flee from Jerusalem with little more than the clothes on his back. 2 Samuel chapter 15 tells us that as he left Jerusalem, King David climbed up the Mount of Olives and he covered his head and wept. He bowed his head in weeping and crying in grief. That's our natural stance when we're in dire straits, when we're in trouble or despair. Our heads are lowered, our heads are bowed. But when we get good news and we come out of a time of trouble, our heads are lifted up and we begin to rejoice again. Brothers and sisters, I rejoice that we can have joy through Christ as we know that God is the lifter of our heads as well as our defender. He's our shield. Friends, if you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ yet, let God be the lifter of your heads right now. Let him provide deliverance from your sin and suffering in this life and for eternity. No matter what you're going through, friends, God loves you and can deliver you, lifting your head up out of hard times. As you come to know his grace and mercy, you will experience this. Let today be your day of true repentance and the beginning of your salvation. Let's rejoice together that Jesus Christ, Yeshua, paid the debt for our sins when he died on the cross. And we can only find salvation through the changing and renewing of our minds in regards to sin, which is turning away from our sins, turning away from our past sins, our past lives, being revitalized by the word of God and accepting the finished work of Christ on the cross. Amen. I say amen there, folks, because good news is worthy of agreeing on. And I am in total agreement with the truth of the word of God, friends. And I hope you will be, too. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the 4th Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the 4th Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via 4thwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the 4th Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to the 4th Watch with Justin Fall on the 4th Watch Radio.